seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, the trial of the NHS nurse Lucy Letby is continuing at Manchester Crown Court. She wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for seven months. Prosecutors have finished outlining their case and the court has begun hearing from the defence on why, they say... Lucy Letby is not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So Lucy Letby spent almost five full days in the witness box, giving her evidence in chief to her barrister Ben Myers KC. But by Wednesday, it was the turn of Nick Johnson KC to get to his feet again and start questioning her on behalf of the prosecution. Regular listeners will know that the babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. So we're calling them Babies A to Q. This podcast will go further than the headlines and news reports, but at times you might wonder why we aren't bringing you more details. That's because we can only tell you what the jury have heard, and that's to preserve the integrity of a fair trial. Seven of the babies died, ten survived. Every one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter, and the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. In this episode, we'll hear that Lucy Letby believes a group of consultants conspired to blame her for the baby's deaths to cover up for hospital failings. She'll also say staffing shortages and the mistakes of collies contributed to collapses and deaths. And doctors and nurses who've given evidence about seeing her beside the baby's cots. Or witnessed unusual rashes on the alleged victims 
or left her in charge of newborns when they were on a break are all mistaken or lying. Welcome to episode 35, The Gang of Four. Right, Liz, so it was a really busy week last week in court because for the first time in quite a while, the court sat for five days straight. And that's why we brought you an extra episode on Thursday so that we could get you up to speed on the end of Lucy Letby's evidence in chief. That's right, Caroline. At the end of our Thursday episode, we heard the final exchange between Lucy Letby and her barrister, Ben Myers, which took place on Wednesday afternoon. And just to remind you, she became tearful shortly before this as she described how she felt lonely when she was moved off the unit and again denied hurting babies or using air or insulin to try to kill them. Moments later, Mr Johnson got to his feet to begin his cross-examination. Now this is the first opportunity he's had to question Lucy Letby about the allegations, so it was a much-anticipated moment in the trial. And probably understandably, Liz, the courtroom was full. You're one of just five journalists allowed inside Court 7 at Manchester Crown Court. The rest are watching a live stream of the proceedings in an annex at the Magistrates Court, which is in a completely different building, a few hundred metres away in the city centre. So, Liz, just remind us what it was like inside the room. OK, so Lucy Letby's sitting at a small wooden desk to the left of the judge's bench, and she's flanked by two female security guards. Mr Justice Goss is sitting slightly higher up on that bench to her right-hand side, and directly opposite her are the eight women and four men who make up the jury. She's facing questions from Mr Johnson, who's diagonally to her left, and behind her in the public gallery are sitting her parents and a friend. On the other side of the public gallery are the parents of some of the babies and the police officers who are supporting them, and I'm sitting right in front of them with four other members of the media. The court artists were also in court again for this moment, and we can share one of their drawings of the scene on our Twitter feed. So bearing in mind Lucy Letby had been tearful at the end of her questioning with Mr Myers, you could hear a pin drop in the room as Mr Johnson stood up and posed his first question. Any reason why you cry when you talk about yourself and do not cry when you talk about the dead and seriously injured children? I have cried when talking about some of the babies. That's your answer, is it? Mr Johnson then presented her with a paper copy of her defence statement. That's the statement that anyone who pleads not guilty in a trial submits to the prosecution to spell out why they say they're not responsible for the alleged crimes before their trial gets underway. And he began by asking her if she'd said anything in her evidence to the jury so far that she wished to correct or to change. And this became a running theme of his cross-examination. You started your evidence on the 2nd of May, which is a long time ago now. Is there anything you've said that you've since thought about and that you would like to change? No. At the start of each session, Mr Johnson asked her a question like this, before taking her to what he says are contradictions between what she's told the jury and what she told the police in her interviews and what she said in her defence statement. And he gave an example. He reminded her of what she said last week in relation to baby Kay. She's the very premature baby girl that Lucy Letby is accused of attempting to murder by dislodging her breathing tube in February 2016. Dr Ravi Jayram gave evidence that he believed he interrupted Lucy Letby mid-attack because he found her standing at the baby's cot side doing nothing while she collapsed. Mr Johnson said that nowhere 
Not in Lucy Letby's defence statement or police interviews has she disputed being in the nursery with baby Kay until last week, when she told the jury she'd been feeding and changing the nappy of another baby in a different room. You might remember that she said she didn't remember a conversation with Dr Jram on that night shift at all. Did you in your police interviews ever suggest Dr Ravi Jram is a liar who is inventing seeing you standing over baby Kay on February the 17th? I've never accepted in my police interview what Dr Jram said actually happened. I'm suggesting to you that the first time you said Dr Jram is making it up was yesterday. I don't think I said yesterday he was making it up. You said you were never standing over baby Kay, so it follows that you're saying Dr Jram has deliberately misled this jury? Yes. So when was the first time you said that, Lucy Letby? If I'm accepting what you say, it was yesterday. I can't say without going through everything I've ever said. I'm going to suggest to you, for your consideration, that when Dr Jaram was cross-examined by Mr Myers, that suggestion was never made. Do you accept or reject that? I can't recall the specific questions asked at that time. No, but you remember the gist of the questions, don't you? Yes. Was Mr Myers suggesting to Dr Jaram that he never saw you standing over baby Kay? I can't comment on that. Can't or won't? It's very difficult to recall everything everyone has said during a seven-month trial. It is, and in due course, I will remind you, don't worry, Lucy Letby. I'm suggesting to you, you're lying now, claiming that you don't remember. No, I'm not lying. Now, Dr Jram's name came up again the following day when Mr Johnson started asking Lucy Letby about her relationship with doctors on the unit. He began by listing 19 of them and she insisted she had a normal working relationship with them all. When he got to Dr A, the doctor her colleagues teased her about flirting with, Mr Johnson asked her directly. Were you in love with him? No, I loved Dr A as a friend. I wasn't in love with him. But as the questioning went on, she named four consultants, Dr Jram, Dr Stephen Breary, Dr John Gibbs and Dr B, a consultant we haven't been able to name, as being out to get her. She said the four were involved in a conspiracy to blame her for the baby's deaths. You may also remember that she told the jury that when she'd written the word bastards on another of the notes, she was referring to Dr Breary and Dr Jram because she was angry that they'd pointed the finger at her. Are you suggesting there's some sort of agreement between medical staff to get you? In the consultants group, I do believe, yes. Four doctors. A gang of four, let's call them. What's the conspiracy? They have apportioned blame onto me. The motive? I believe to cover failings at the hospital. But Mr Johnson suggested she was the only common feature and had to be the person responsible for harming the babies. And remember, the jury has previously been shown a graph of shift patterns of every nurse on duty during the alleged deaths and collapses, which shows Lucy Letby was the only one working every time. Do you agree that if certain combinations of these children were attacked then, unless there was more than one person attacking them, you have to be the attacker? No, I have not attacked anyone. Just because I was on shift doesn't mean I have done anything. She was also asked about the two babies, baby F and baby L, who she's accused of poisoning with insulin. She agreed that both boys were given insulin unlawfully, 
but insisted it was not given by her. Do you agree that Baby F was poisoned with insulin? Yes. Somebody targeted him specifically? No. Knowing what you know about insulin readings, blood sugar readings, what are the realistic possibilities in Baby L's case? I don't believe any member of the unit would make a mistake. Mistake is not an option? Yes. Deliberate poisoning, but not you. Insulin has been added by somebody, but not me. Mr Johnson also asked her about the 257 nursing handover sheets that police found at her home in Chester and at her parents' home when they were searched. She claimed she didn't take the documents which contain sensitive information about babies being treated on the unit deliberately as souvenirs and that they accidentally came home with her in the pocket of her scrubs. And she accepted it was not normal practice to keep hold of these sheets and that she should have destroyed them in the confidential waste at work. But Mr Johnson suggested she'd taken the sheets with her and was not bothered about keeping the information private. It's not that I'm not bothered. I know they are at my home address, but they are still held in confidence. Held in confidence. In a bin bag in your garage. I'm the only one that lives at the property, so yes. What about the ones at your parents' home? Who lives there? My parents, but they don't enter my room. They are not held in confidence, are they? I don't believe anybody would have looked at them. Do you obey rules when it suits you? No. Do you like telling people what to do, but you don't live up to those standards yourself? No. Mr Johnson also presented Lucy Letby with a handover sheet that he said was in pristine condition. He told her it was found at her home in a keepsake box which was decorated with roses. And he said it was dated June the 1st, 2010, her first day of work as a student at the neonatal unit. Letby told the jury that the sheets had no meaning to her and were just pieces of paper. Students aren't usually given handover sheets on the unit, she said. But Mr Johnson said 99 of the handover sheets found by police were from her time as a student. Why don't you want to tell the truth? That is the truth. They have no meaning to me at all. I have copious pieces of paper and cards that I have not thrown away my whole life. Also found at her home was a blood gas reading of a baby boy, baby M, who she allegedly attempted to murder. He's a twin boy that she's accused of injecting with air in April 2016. And you'll remember his brother, baby L, is the second baby that she's accused of poisoning with insulin on the same shift. Mr Johnson reminded her that a nursing colleague who took the blood gas reading for baby M gave evidence that she would have disposed of the printout in the unit's confidential waste bin. And he accused her of fishing it out of the bin for her souvenir collection. When did you fish it out of the bin? I never fished anything out of the confidential bin. How did you get it? I can't recall specifically. It was for your little collection, wasn't it, Lucy Letby? No. Mr Johnson also asked her about the sympathy card she sent to the parents of baby I. You'll remember a photo of the card was found on her mobile phone. She's accused of trying to kill baby I three times before succeeding on the fourth attempt by injecting her with air in October 2015. The jury's been told she took the picture at half past four in the morning while on the unit during a night shift 
before passing it on to colleagues who were attending the child's funeral that day. You took a picture of a card addressed to the parents of a child who died in dreadful circumstances at the place where she died. The place is insignificant. Did it give you a bit of a thrill to photograph it at the place where this poor unfortunate child died? Absolutely not. Mr Johnson also asked her about the paper shredder found at her home. When she was arrested, she told police that she didn't have a shredder. She said she'd simply forgotten she had one. I'd just been arrested by the police. Locating a shredder wasn't on my mind. Are you making up bits of evidence as you go along? No. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So, on the second day of Lucy Letby's cross examination, Mr. Johnson turned his attention to the specific allegations on the charge sheet, and he began with Baby A, the first twin boy that she's accused of murdering in June 2015 by injecting him with air. She told Mr. Johnson that staffing shortages were partly to blame for Baby A's collapse because there had been a four-hour delay in getting him the fluids he needed. She accepted that she'd been checking equipment by his cot when he collapsed, but claimed it was Nurse Mel Taylor who set up his drip 15 minutes earlier. And she said she hadn't seen an unusual rash on his body, like the one described in evidence by other doctors involved in the failed resuscitation. Mr Johnson reminded her that Dr Andreas Marnarides The expert pathologist who gave evidence told the jury he found evidence in the records of an air bubble in baby A's lung and brain. And Dr Owen Arthurs, the expert radiologist, had seen air bubbles in his blood vessels on an x-ray. Did you inject that into baby A? No. Mr Johnson then started asking her questions about baby A's twin sister, baby B. She was attacked, the prosecution say, in an almost identical manner on the following shift, but thankfully she survived. He reminded her about the evidence from the twins' parents, who he said were so devastated by their son's death 
that they effectively stood guard over Baby B all the next day until they left the nursery around 8pm in the evening. Mr Johnson said on that shift, Lucy Letby was not Baby B's designated nurse and instead she had two babies in nursery three. But, he suggested, she didn't like being there because she found caring for less sick babies boring. He said phone records showed she was texting friends and engaging in chit-chat with other colleagues while at work that night. This, he said, also supported evidence the jury have heard from another nurse that she found being in nurseries three and four tedious and would often migrate back towards intensive care to the more poorly children. But Lucy Letby denied this. She said she'd never described any of her work as boring and insisted it was accepted that nurses used their phones in non-clinical areas on the unit. She agreed she was in Nursery 1 at times helping Baby B's designated nurse, who was a much more experienced nurse who we can't name. She accepted she helped her colleague to set up a bag of IV feed just after midnight and also helped to perform routine observations and a blood gas test shortly before Baby B's collapse. But she disputed that her colleague was out of the nursery preparing medication for another baby when baby B collapsed and Lucy Letby called for help. Here's a recap of what the colleague said, which we played back in episode four. Lucy Letby said she's not breathing and asked me to go and help. She suddenly looked very ill. She looked like her brother had done the night before. Pale, white with this purple blotch discoloration. It was all over. That's how her brother appeared too. I just remember thinking, no, not again. I'd not seen anything like that before, to see his sister with the same appearance. Lucy Letby said her colleague's recollection was potentially wrong. Do you remember telling the jury Baby B's designated nurse alerted you to her collapse? I am unsure which way round it was. I'm unsure whether I spotted it first or Baby B's designated nurse alerted me. My memory is she alerted me but I can't say for definite now. So she's wrong, is she? Potentially, yes. You injected baby B with air, didn't you? No, I didn't. She accepted her colleague had decades more experience of premature babies than she did. But she claimed her colleague had been mistaken about the rash on baby B's body and insisted the discoloration was simply like general mottling, sometimes observed on neonates and she insisted she hadn't sabotaged the twins' care. Do you accept air was put into the IV lines of both children, babies A and B? No. Or either of them? No. Do you accept you had the opportunity to have access to the IV lines of both babies just before they collapsed? Yes, but I didn't access the lines. Mr Johnson then began asking Lucy Letby questions relating to the next baby in the case, baby C. He's the baby, one nurse said, was the smallest baby she'd ever seen. Lucy Letby is accused of murdering him by injecting air into the tube in his nose, causing his tummy to swell and crush his lungs, shortly after he was given his first feed of milk, around 11.15pm on June the 13th. Nurse Sophie Ellis, who was Baby C's allocated nurse, gave evidence that Lucy Letby was near to his cot in Nursery 1 when he collapsed. But Lucy Letby denied this. She said she'd no memory of being in Nursery 1 and said she was only called to help afterwards because she had another baby in a different room. 
Mr Johnson reminded the jury that Lucy Letby should have been in nursery three that evening because the shift leader had allocated her a baby in there that was showing signs of respiratory distress and she wanted her to keep a close eye on him. He also highlighted text messages that she'd sent to colleague Jennifer Jones Key, who wasn't on duty, in which she spoke about wanting to be in nursery one that night to get the image of baby A's death six days earlier out of her head. Here's that text exchange that we played back in episode three. It starts with Jennifer Jones Key. You okay, kiss? I just keep thinking about Monday. Feel like I need to be in one to overcome it. You need a full-on break from ICU. You have to let it go or it'll eat you up. I just feel I need to be in one to get the image out of my head. To be in three is eating me up. All I can see is him in one. It probably sounds odd, but it's how I feel. It sounds very odd, and I'll be complete opposite. Well, that's how I feel. You don't expect people to understand, but I know how I feel and how I have dealt with it before. I voiced that so can't do any more, but people should respect that. I think they do respect it, but also trying to help you. Why don't you go in one for a bit? Yeah, I have done a couple of meds in one. I'll be fine. Forget I said anything. I'll be fine. It's part of the job, but just don't feel like there is much team spirit tonight. Mr Johnson said the text suggested she was frustrated by the allocation of babies that night because Nurse Ellis was less experienced than she was. He also said she was upset that Nurse Melanie Taylor, who'd also been on duty when baby A died, was given the other intensive care baby to look after that night in Nursery One. People should respect that. You wanted to get your own way, didn't you? No, I expressed a preference to go into Nursery One, as did Mel. People should respect that. What did you mean by that? That people should respect me. It's not about me having my own way. It's about how you deal with things. Mel and I both asked to go into Nursery One. Were you upset? Yes. Were you upset with Mel? No, I was upset generally that I didn't feel my feelings were being considered. By who? The shift leader and Mel. What did you expect Mel to do? Mel and I were both present with Baby A, and I supported her with that. You wanted her to talk about Baby A's death? I wanted her to be there to support me. You wanted her to talk about it? I think what I was suggesting is the only way to overcome those things is by talking to colleagues that were present. Shared experience. Is that what you enjoyed? What? Talking to colleagues? No. Sharing experiences of babies collapsing and dying. No, shared experiences for very many reasons, not just that. A couple of times you say, forget it. Were you frustrated? Yes, I felt I wasn't getting anywhere with the conversation and wanted to leave it at that. What were you expecting Jennifer to say that she was not saying? She maybe could have been a bit more understanding about what I was saying and how I was feeling. Did you want attention? I don't think attention is the right word. Just recognition from a friend to acknowledge how I was feeling. Because you'd been through such a dreadful experience, you wanted people to show you what? I don't think I wanted them to show me anything. I wanted to express how I felt to her, and I don't think she understood the context of what I was saying, so I wanted to leave the conversation. Does it come to this? You wanted to be in nursery one? Yes. Your wish was being frustrated by management. By the shift leader. And in your view, the person who had what you wanted 
wasn't sufficiently qualified for the job. No, Sophie wasn't in the correct position to care for baby C. Why? She was recently qualified. She didn't have the experience or skills. Which skill was she deficient in? She didn't have the experience of premature babies. Small babies, like baby C. I'm not saying she caused anything with him. I'm just saying she was the least experienced nurse on the shift and had very little experience of small premature babies like baby C. She had something you wanted. No. The care of baby C. Isn't that what you wanted? No, not specifically baby C. Nurse Ellis told us she left nursery one. That was the opportunity you took to sabotage baby C, wasn't it? No. Lucy Letby also denied causing the swelling seen by doctors in baby C's throat and suggested the air found in his tummy was due to him being neopuffed or given oxygen via a mask during the CPR. Mr Johnson reminded her of the evidence of the shift leader, who can't be named for legal reasons. She told the jury she had to repeatedly tell Lucy Letby to stop going into the family room, where baby C's parents were cradling their dying son. You enjoyed the aftermath of this, didn't you? No. Why were you so keen to involve yourself with baby C's family as they cradled their dying son? I don't agree with that. I don't recall being there a lot of the time. You remember the shift leader said she'd had to keep pulling you out of the family room? Yes. That was not disputed on your behalf with her, was it? I can't recall that now. Do you dispute it now? That I'd been in the family room. Repeatedly? No, I agree I had been around at some point, but not repeatedly, and I don't recall the shift leader having to pull me back out. Do you remember what else Baby C's mother said you did? Made a comment about putting him in a basket. She said you said, you've said your goodbyes, now do you want to put him in here? Are you disputing that now, even though it was agreed evidence? No, I don't recall that. I don't think I ever accepted definitely that's what I said. I don't recall that. You were enjoying what was going on, weren't you, Lucy Letby? No. So the final baby Mr Johnson asked Lucy Letby about last week was baby D. She was a baby girl and the third baby to die in just over a fortnight on the unit in June 2015. And you may remember baby D is the only baby in the case who was born full term. She was a healthy weight, almost seven pounds, and was only in the unit because the hospital made a mistake and didn't give her mother antibiotics after her waters broke. She was eventually born after a prolonged 60-hour labour. A post-mortem later revealed that baby D had pneumonia when she died, but Dr Marna Rides, the expert pathologist, told the jury that she died with pneumonia, not because of it, and the presence of air in her major blood vessels pointed to air embolism, a bubble of air in her blood, being responsible for her death. Baby D's mum and dad wept in court as Lucy Letby insisted she didn't remember much about their daughter when she was interviewed by police in July 2018, two years after she died. On the night of her death, Baby D was being looked after in Nursery One by Nurse Caroline Oakley. Lucy Letby also had two babies in Nursery One, and it's the prosecution case that she attacked Baby D twice, causing her to collapse and die while Nurse Oakley was on her break. She accepted that she had set up a drip for Baby D with Nurse Oakley and agreed 
It looked like her writing on a blood gas chart minutes before the collapse. She denied deliberately failing to sign the blood gas record or falsifying other medical notes to make it look like she was doing something else when baby D stopped breathing. And she said she didn't know for certain if she was alone and babysitting baby D for Nurse Oakley at that time. Did you take the opportunity while Caroline was absent to sabotage baby D? No. When the alarms went off, you were there, weren't you? I do not recall. I'm suggesting you were babysitting baby D. You had, as a matter of fact, been in nursery one throughout. I can't comment on that. I don't know for certain. The entry in the fluid balance chart for your allocated baby. Were you really doing that as baby D collapsed? Or have you tried to make the paperwork look like you were doing something else while she collapsed? No, I've never falsified any paperwork. Ever? No. Lucy Letby agreed the note suggested she was giving medication to baby D with Nurse Oakley prior to her second and third collapses at 3 and 3.35 in the morning. And Mr Johnson reminded her about the evidence of the nurses on duty and the evidence of the doctors who all described an unusual purple rash on baby D's body after she collapsed. Lucy Letby accepted they were not mistaken about witnessing the rash but said she thought it looked like a rash sometimes associated with meningitis. Mr Johnson asked her what she thought caused Baby D's collapse. Is it your case that staffing levels contributed to Baby D's death? No. Is it your case medical competence contributed? Yes, I believe she didn't have appropriate treatment at the start of her life. The delay in antibiotics? That may have had an impact, yes. They do not guard against air embolus, do they, antibiotics? No. Mr Johnson also reminded her of texts she'd exchanged with her friend, the more senior nurse who'd been her mentor, which were sent after baby D's death. We first heard them in episode six, and here's a recap. We had such a rubbish night. Our job is just far too sad sometimes. No. What happened? We lost baby D. What? But she was improving. What happened? I can't believe you were on again. You are having such a tough time. Messed about a couple of times and came out in this weird rash looking like overwhelming sepsis, then collapsed and had full resus. So upsetting for everyone. Parents absolutely devastated. Dad screaming. Andrew Brunton and Liz Newby said it will probably be investigated. What? The delay in treatment? Just overall looking into the case and reviewing what antibiotics she was on, if it was sepsis. Dad is beside himself. Damn. Poor family. You okay? It's just been another shock for us all. I feel a bit numb this time. Oh hon, you need a break. Mr Johnson questioned her further on whether she really had little memory of Baby D when she was interviewed by the police. This was a traumatic and shocking incident, wasn't it? Yes. You remembered it very well when you spoke to police, didn't you? No. You were enjoying this, weren't you, Lucy Letby? No. Mr Johnson pointed out that she'd searched for Baby D's mum's full name on Facebook three days after she died and searched twice for the full name of her dad four months later, in October 2015. She insisted she had a good memory for names but said she didn't know how she recalled those of Baby D's parents months later. Baby D died because you injected her with air, didn't you? 
No. Didn't you? No. That's the reason she had air in her great vessels like Baby A and Baby O. I did not give her air. So that's it for episode 35. The court isn't sitting today or tomorrow, but Mr Johnson will continue his cross-examination of Lucy Letby on Wednesday. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence and you can read my reports in the mail and on Mel+. Plus. You can also follow me on Twitter at Liz Hull. You can give us a rating and you can share the podcast, which has now been downloaded over two million times. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or you can follow me at Radio Caroline. Or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. See you then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is everything I know about me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again, because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. And ashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a design of vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah, I remember that being really stressful. Everything I Know About Me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.